I know what I want the world to be and how I want the world to work. I want the world to be beautiful for everyone here. I want the world to be just and equitable, to be a place safe and steady and welcoming for all, from the bottom of the food chain up to the very top. I want the world to be a place where all people share all things in a manner that allows everyone, everyone, to say out loud, this world is mine. This is where I live. This is where I know I am loved. This is where my hunger is fed, where my thirst is quenched, where my pain is soothed, my shame is laid aside, and where I never need be alone. I think, maybe, or maybe hope is a better word, that this is close to the idea God had in mind in her moment of creation. The world God intended, the world God made. We could talk endlessly about what happened to Eden, about why we face war and conflict and disappointment when we could be sharing fruit in a garden, why we struggle with trying to create the perfect family life, perfect children, perfect friendships, perfect careers and perfect reputations, when we could be sitting in the grass with our children, petting the thick and lovely fur of our friend the tiger, why we see such heavy and scratchy disagreement about who or how or what God is, why so many people feel hurt or alienated, why so many give up on the church and walk away from God. Often we ask that question, where, oh, where is Eden? And the answer, hard sought and far away. This is why I happen to cherish the prophets of Israel and why today you'll be hearing about Jeremiah and not about the gospel. The message of the prophets, and I think we can say there is just one message that they all shared with us, resonates deeply with my own understanding of how the world works. Or more likely, my view was informed by the prophets because I probably didn't come up with that all by myself. From the point of view of Jewish and Christian history to which we, this religious people gathered here, belong, the broad history of the world with its conflicts and its fragile resolutions, our broken relationships with the very people who are our most important source of comfort and love, and our constant longing for something just slightly different or slightly better. All of that, I think, is somehow related to our ages-long inability to trust the simplicity and the grace 
of God's longing for us. Now, a few of you may have heard recently a rumor that as a high school student, I had a bit of a crush on Jeremiah. It's true. What can you say? I also had a crush on um, Henry David Thoreau, but they're a lot alike, actually, aren't they? Um, Anyway, I thought Jeremiah was the perfect guy for the times. It was a long time ago. Shaggy and just a bit odd. And my parents would have wanted him to be washed thoroughly before dinner. I've outgrown that. At least some people hope I have. Maybe I haven't. Um, But Jeremiah still remains my favorite among all the prophets. And so I was really excited when I learned that I was going to get to talk about Jeremiah today, to reflect on the words we read from Jeremiah 31. These verses, they're really, really important, and they represent a turning point in the way the people of Israel were asked to understand God. Lots of ideas, treasures really, are packed in here, even in these few verses. But we're going to look at just one part of the passage, the part that I think we often overlook or misunderstand, certainly underestimate, when we're thinking about how to think about God. You need to know first that at the time Jeremiah was hearing God and trying faithfully to address the people, the Jewish people were in exile under the Babylonians, having already been captive to the Egyptians and the Assyrians. By the time of the Babylonian exile, the people had already been under foreign domination for more than 40 years. Fully a generation had passed, and most of the people to whom Jeremiah spoke had no personal memory of how this captivity had befallen them. They only knew that their fathers had turned aside from God and that life as God's people had pretty much crumbled. The tradition of the Jewish people up until this point had been that God was only to be encountered and worshipped in the temple in Jerusalem. And they no longer had that privilege. That was gone. The words of Psalm 137, which we didn't read this morning, and I wonder why, um, is a mournful and painful now what sort of litany reflecting the pain of this generation. By the rivers of Babylon, we hung up our harps. For how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? These were a people devastated, at a complete loss for where to turn for comfort, for hope, and for life. It's one thing, I think, to lose the opportunity to freely worship God in a place where it's forbidden by the government. We see that, and we think it's horrible, and it is. But try to imagine living with a lack of access to God that has been for generations embedded as one of the key tenets of your own faith. If you're not here, you're not with God. Imagine that. 
Hundreds of years before, these people's ancestors had quite literally carried God, carefully packed away in a tiny portable house, out of the country of Egypt. In Jerusalem, God was given a permanent and discreet home, a place where people knew they could come and find God. But now that was gone. The words of Jeremiah that we read this morning are a part of what is sometimes known as the Book of Comforts. I kind of like that, the Book of Comforts. They're promises that God makes to the people through the words of the prophets that look forward to the resolution of such sorrows as these people were suffering. These words of Jeremiah, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. This is a whole new idea. God no longer resides in a box. I can hardly imagine the tempest of joy and disbelief that must have accompanied the hearings of this comfort they were being given. Honestly, it was pretty much unheard of. Everybody's God had a shape and a form and an idol and a temple. And suddenly Jeremiah was saying, oh, it's different. It's different from that. It was odd. It's a pretty common understanding for us now. We kind of do believe that God is with us no matter what, no matter where. And maybe that's what has shaped our tired core of inability to grasp the profound and life-altering significance of this idea. It's not surprising to us. And sometimes what isn't surprising gets taken for granted. The law of God is not about a place. It's not about stone tablets or parchment scrolls or about numbered and numerous rules written on them. The law of God instead is the very being of God, God's own self revealed to us from within us. Written on the hearts of the people, our hearts, beginning nearly 600 years before Jesus set heavenly foot to earthly soil, Nothing in scripture tells us that has changed. Nothing says it ever will change. Jesus, in fact, claimed to be on earth for the very purpose of fulfilling this law. God's presence in us, with us, among us, written in our hearts for all time, lived out by God's living, visible presence in Jesus. We are born with God's very self written in our hearts, all of us, people whose painful life situations dictate against such a treasure even being conceivable, they have it. People whose hearts are cluttered and overburdened, they have it. People who deny God, who defy God, who misuse God, who mistrust God's presence, misuse, yeah, mistrust, that's what I said, mistrust God's presence, they have it. People who abuse the very concept of God to confuse 
and control and repress others. Even they have it. People who have been so hurt and so broken by others, even broken by the church, that they can no longer bear to even search for God's presence in life, they still have it. The very thing that we so often long for, God has been with us from our very beginning and will remain there to our very end. I think of the maybe familiar stories of the lost sheep and the lost coin, stories that Jesus told. The shepherd and the woman in those two stories lose track of something that really matters to them, and they drop everything else, and they go search for what is gone. And they find what was gone because it was never really gone. It was just lost in the clutter of life. Just as we lose track of God easily and often innocently enough, sheep wander out to the wilderness and they get lost in the shrubberies. Coins roll under tables. God is tucked deeply in our hearts right up against that bare muscle that keeps us alive. But lots of other stuff takes up residence in our hearts as well. Legitimate things like family and friends, the poor, the chaos of our civil life, the impending collapse of the environment, and sometimes silly things like how bad my hair looks today or what on earth will I wear to that big meeting on Tuesday. And like sheep in the shrubbery, God seems to disappear. And what is the most common response to the disappearance of God? Ready for this? To preach at people, and yes, including ourselves, to judge, to condemn, to insist that others get a grip and sit down with the Bible and get their lives to write. I don't think many people sitting here this morning do that. Probably not any of you. It's a misapplication of God's law, and it's a misapplication of God. God is not something to be preached and condemned by, but something to be found. I know, though, that many of us were raised with that sort of harsh and unhelpful understanding that you must get your life to right if you want to find God or if you want God to find you. Sometimes it's hard to turn aside and grasp the utter simplicity of a viable alternative. So if you need a new idea, a viable alternative to judgment or self-condemnation or whatever it is, I'm going to suggest this. Whether it's yourself or someone else that's in question, just love them. Just love them. That's God's own first impulse, and I think that's a guarantee that it's a good idea. Help those around you to turn inward and to seek the God who by her own choice and quite happily lives as close to us as our own inner self. Take them out to the garden to eat some fruit. Take your children, your friends, your enemies, whoever needs it, take them out to the garden. Sit in the grass 
and pet your tiger. Or if you don't have a tiger, your cat or your dog or the grass itself. Sit there and read a little bit from my favorite prophet. Or just sit there. But sit together. Sit in peace. Sit in hope. And teach them to say this. The world is beautiful. Teach them to say, this world is mine. I belong here. I am welcome here. I am safe here. And I am loved here. This is how our exile will end. Amen.